primaries make America exceptional, the solutions to socialism, and are you financially prepared? Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and you stay for the principles. We got a jam packed show for you today, and I want to start by today's show in a bit of a different way. I want to respond to a comment I got by about three or four people um, this week on a show that I did two weeks ago based on socialism. As you guys know, I haven't been online an awful lot, but I've been seeing some of your messages trickle through, and thank you so much for those. Um, I did a show a couple of weeks ago based around socialism, and I gave you the the stats and the news um, that has been avoided by a lot of the mainstream media, including um, friends on the right, where I talked about socialism not being as big a deal uh, or not as popular as it may seem. And I used all the stats, I used the, the, the polls that were out there, and I also used some of the election results. And a few people messaged me, kind of going, do I still stand by those sentiments after what happened in Nevada, where Bernie Sanders got over 40% of the vote? So I want to respond to that. And I want to respond to that by explaining to you one of the pitfalls about your politics on both sides in, in America But I want to do it not in a way of pointing out the pitfall. I want to explain it to you why America, once again, is is unique and, I believe, exceptional for the way you do voting. So, to do this, I need to explain to you what happens in other countries. So, as you all know, without going into the details, the Ireland had a general election in February, two, three weeks ago. And in my constituency, we're broken up like you are in constituencies of different varying sizes. And, you know, it's done by population. You know, for you get a representative for X amount of people there is. And literally what you had was you at the main parties. And the main parties would all have their own private um, gatherings and meetings. So let me give you this in the Irish terms and I'll make it in American terms for you. So in Ireland, you have political parties. You have Fianna Fáil, you have Fianna Gael, which are two big ones. Then you have smaller parties like Sinn Féin, Labour, the Green Party, Social Democrats, People Before Profit. They all have their own meetings, their own uh, commons is what they call them in Irish. And they come at this, to this meeting, and they'll only do is their own select people of who they want to do, who they want to discuss and who they want to vote. And they'll go, hey, there's a general election happening. Okay, how many... And the head-ups of the party, so let me use one party, Fianna Fáil, will have this meeting, kind of go, okay, there's now a general election, we're going to put one person in that constituency, two in that constituency, three in this constituency, because the spin doctors have these analytics, these numbers that says, look, in this district, we only need to run one person because, hey, you know, it's not really a strong Fianna Fáil district. Likewise, in other districts, they might run two or three people because they think, hey, we can get two or three people elected from that district because it's a really pro-Fianna Fáil 
place or the person running at the top of the ticket is really popular and hopefully that person he or she will carry a second or maybe even a third person into the doll into parliament with them but it's all decided behind closed doors you don't get to decide who the candidates are if Fianna Fáil decide you know what there's this really good guy girl they have great policies and you really like them you don't have a say in it it's it's up to the party. It's up to the party leadership and it's up to the party members to decide who gets to to run. And a lot of times, a lot of good candidates from all parties get screwed because they're not in with the, the party. They're very critical of the party. They don't get on board with the party. And initially what you have is a situation where every general election comes and this happens in Ireland, this happens in England, this happens in France, this happens in every country. Where the general election comes and you've got a situation where, again, let me use one party, Fianna Fáil. I really like Fianna Fáil. I'm not saying this, by the way. But, you know, you really like Fianna Fáil. But, I mean, you're in a constituency where there's only one Fianna Fáil candidate. You really like the Fianna Fáil platform. You like their policies. But you think the person's a bit of a, eh, bit of a jerk, a bit lazy. You don't like him. He's a bit outspoken. He's too quiet. Whatever reason. Don't like the way they look. You don't trust them. You've got that Sophie's choice where you're like, huh? do I, do I, like, I really like the party, but this guy or girl, I don't like them. And you're put in this situation where you, you've got no choice. And a lot of people just will vote for the party because, you know, that's the option you make. It's better than someone else. Now, let me put that to you in an equation, in an American equation. Imagine a situation where you have the Republicans, you have the Democrats as the two main parties. Then you have a conservative party a Freedom Caucus, a Libertarian Party, a Progressive Party, a Black Caucus Party, a Socialist Party, and they're all coming together. And they will literally decide who is going to run and in what districts. And by the way, the bad thing about this is, is if you run in a district, if you live in a district that isn't pro-Fianna Fáil, and you're a Fianna Fáil person, there's a good chance you won't have a, a Fianna Fáil person in your district, and that's just tough. What do you do then? The reason I'm explaining this to you in case you're getting bored is to highlight one of the advantages of the American system. The American system is built on a primary process. So you have a vote which isn't that important, but is absolutely critical. And instead of using the Democratic vote to make my point to you, I want to talk to you about the 2016 election. One of the things that always upsets me, and this happens in 2016, happened in 2012, happened in 2008, happened in, didn't happen in 2004 because there wasn't a primary, really, um, happened in 2000, is let's say, and I don't know, fill in the blank, let's use the 2016 election, let's say Ted Cruz is your guy, you love Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz for you should be the next president of the United States. Same with, let's say Rand Paul was your guy. Let's say Scott Walker was your guy. Let's say John Kasich was your guy. Carly Fiorina was your girl. Ever who it is. Who your favorite candidate was. How many people actually voted for their favorite candidate? One of the frustrating things about me, and I hear people say this all the time, is they voted not out of who they liked or who they wanted, but rather out of who they thought could win. The advantage America has in your electoral system, and I believe it is superior to every other system, is you can have a system where you're like, you know what, I really like Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is my guy. And you know what, whether Donald Trump has won the nomination or not, when it comes to my state, whether I'm first or last, I'm voting Ted Cruz. I am having my voice heard that Ted Cruz is my guy. 
And then at the end of the day, if Ted Cruz wins or loses, even if he's pulled out of the race, doesn't matter. You had your voice heard. You gave an accurate reflection of the electors. And then in the general election, you have another decision. Ted Cruz didn't win. We go again with the actual 2016 election. And the reason I'm picking Ted Cruz, by the way, is not because I'm a big Ted Cruz supporter. It's that he was the, the viable option or alternative to Donald Trump in 2016. But then it comes to the 2016 election, you're kind of going, look, Ted Cruz is my guy. I have now a choice of Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. A lot of people went, you know what, Donald Trump. Or a lot of people went, I just can't vote for either, or whatever way it went. But you have have a system in place called a primary process, where you have your choice to have your voice heard. How many people actually use it? Even if you're, let me give you another example. Even if your person was, and I'm trying to think someone like Scott Walker, who rose to the polls really high and then all of a sudden just flamed out because he ran out of money. He spent his money on a lot of advertising, couldn't build or keep building the momentum, ran out of money and the campaign stopped. Let's say you lived in, I don't know, Alabama and Scott Walker is totally out of the race. He's given up. He's given his podium speech. He said, I'm out. You should still vote for Scott Walker if he's your guy, shouldn't you? Because it doesn't cost you anything. It's not like, hey, this has an election consequence. It's just you're giving an accurate reflection of your relationship, of your voting, of how you feel, of what you want in government. Whether that's the same as Scott Walker, whether it's Carly Free Arena, whether it's Bobby Jindal, all these other people. Even if your guy was Jeb Bush. Jeb. Apostrophe mark. Jib. Yep. Police clap. Um, Sorry, I had to mock him. Um, but even if your guy is Jeb Bush and, you know, he's out of the race, surely you should vote for him. But so many Americans have got caught up and they like this feeling of, hey, we should vote for a winner. Why did I talk about this to start? Because I want to reflect on the Nevada caucuses. Not because I'm some political expert or political analyst, but to talk to you about a principle. So people were asking me, was I wrong about saying America is not socialist and that, you know, a lot of Democrats are not socialist and are terrified of Bernie Sanders, but they vote. Why did he get 40% of the vote? Because how many people voted in that caucus because Bernie was the only one in their eyes that could win? That Bernie Sanders is the clear front runner now. And, you know, I'm going to vote for the winner. I may not like it, but I'm going to vote for him. How many times do you see this? And I would ask you, in case you're wondering, how many people do you know in your community that voted for Donald Trump in the primary, even though they didn't like him? There was a lot of people, and I know a good few of them, who were really angry, who were big Ted Cruz supporters, who were really upset with his treatment, but when it came to that ballot in the primary, they voted for Donald Trump. Why? Because there was no other option. It was either him or Kasich, and <laughs> it wasn't even Kasich, it wasn't even an option. God bless, bless his heart. This is the thing about America that frustrates me. I think, and I need to do a better job, and I'm, I'm always my own biggest critic. You guys know this. And explaining to you why you are unique. And I think sometimes, and I mean this with the greatest of respect, and I don't mean this as a put down, but you do take your country for granted. You do take the system of government you have been given for granted. There's a ignorance, if you want to use it, of what other countries go through. What other countries experience you just you compare America to America and you're like, eh, America sucks or America isn't that great. We just do what we do always and we go vote for the winner. It's a coronation process. 
That is not what your founders wanted. That is not what your system of government wanted. That is not what parties should want. You should want, let's have an accurate reflection, especially in the primary, where it means nothing. It's not an embarrassment if if you have a situation where, you know, let's use the 2016 election again, where Donald Trump is the only candidate in the election and he only gets 50% of the vote and Ted Cruz gets 20 and, you know, ever who else was out last gets 10 and then, you know, John Casey gets four and Jeb Bush gets three. That's not a slap into Trump to Donald Trump. That's just a case of that's an accurate reflection. It's not saying who will win and who will lose in the general election. It's saying what the reflection of the Republican Party is. And then it, it shows higher ups in the party that, hey, we're not all a party of the GOP. We're not all accustomed to just going along to get along. You guys are so lucky you have a primary process that you have a chance, an opportunity to vote for someone you like. As someone who has lived in Ireland and has voted in Ireland since he was 18, I have never once had the ability to vote for someone I liked. And I don't mean, you know, expect, you know, Ireland's never going to have a constitutional candidate who believes in, in the laws of nature and nature's God. I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying even a, a, loosely moderate Republican that I could go, geez, I'll hold my nose and I'll close my eyes and gee, I'll hope I'll get that tick right in the right spot that I'll vote for them. That's what I'm talking about. I'll never have that opportunity. Yet you guys have the opportunity every year in a primary. You have it every two years in the House and every four years in the presidency. You have a chance to vote people in. You have a chance to have your voice heard. You have a chance to vote for a great candidate. Now, even if that great candidate never, ever wins, you have the you have the opportunity to say, that was my candidate. That guy or girl was my candidate. I believe in them. They never got to the general election, but you know what? I got an opportunity to vote for them. Which leads me on to my second point, because you're starting to see the election for 2020 starting to warm up, and it's starting to become election season, and I don't mean in the presidential race. I mean in the general election for the houses and the sum of the senates it's time to make your voice heard america you have major obstacles in front of you we're going to talk about some of them and later on in the show but when was the last time we ever talked about priming a republican i'm going to talk to you later on in the show about what the answers are to today's problems because we're facing a lot of problems and what's missing You know, one of the things that's missing over the last four years since Donald Trump got into office, and this is not a slam on Donald Trump, this is a slam on the GOP and what movements have gone away. Where was the big outrage about priming all these Republicans we didn't like under Obama? Remember all the primaries we used to have? Remember all the opinions we used to like, we didn't like Lindsey Graham? Remember we we had an opportunity, or maybe you depends on how closely you follow politics. Remember that pipe dream we all had when Matt Bevan was going to take out Mitch McConnell? Remember all these great conservative icons? You know, the Tea Party was very successful in some ways. It got standard bearers, if you want to use that word, for some elections, for some politicians. You know, the heroes of the Senate. You have Mike Lee, you have Rand Paul, you have Ted Cruz, you have Thomas Massey. For a while, you had Justin Amash. You know, all these people who were like, you know, the next wave of conservative icons. Well, what's happened in the last four years? Where Where's the next great leader? Where's the next great upset? How many people are even thinking about primaries or talking about primaries? 
on the right. Now all of a sudden we like Lindsey Graham, we like the GOP, we like Mitch McConnell, we like Kevin McCarthy. Is that the way we want to operate? I'm not telling you how to vote because that's not my job. I'm not a politics guy, I'm a principles guy. I want to talk to you about the principle of you have a primary. It's one of the things, many things that makes America unique and exceptional. It's an advantage you have. And what I am asking you, whether you vote for liberals or conservatives or Republicans or moderates or ever who you vote for, use that opportunity. You are blessed to have a primary process. You are blessed to have a situation where you can have your voice heard and say, these are the candidates we want running. But then also we have to talk when you talk about voting. Why is it so people, few people vote? When it comes to primaries. Why is it so many people are like, when it comes to that general election, yeah, I'm there, baby. Or, well, 60% of us are there. When it comes to the primary, what? 10, 15, 20, 25% of the electors? There's an old saying, and in many ways it's true. You might not get the government you need. You might not even get the government you like. But you will get the government you deserve. You have a primary process. If you're not willing to do the hard work and get people out there and encourage people how to vote, encourage people to give people a vote, to say, hey, vote for this guy, vote for this girl, then what are you doing? You get the government you deserve. Likewise, and I'm not just talking about the House and the Senate, I'm talking about all the way down the tickets. You know, one of the saddest things I heard, I, I shared the story on the show many times, but when I was doing a speaking tour, what, two years ago now? can't remember. I was in Oklahoma. I was in Tulsa giving a, a speech, and I was doing a meet and greet afterwards and met many amazing people. And one of the frustrating things, and it's the saddest thing, and it's the frustrating thing for politics of you get the government you deserve. There was a lovely lady there who ran, I'd say she was in her 30s. She was a young mother, family. I think she had like two or three kids and she i spoke to her privately about a few things and she said she had ran for a school board and of a it's in a senate district that has like hundreds of thousands of people to vote and she won the vote with something like 125 votes the second place person came in with 75 i'm butchering those numbers i can't remember the exact numbers but it was like 100 and something she got and second place got 75 and third and fourth place got 50 in a Senate district that has hundreds of thousands of voters. But yet, we'll all talk about, oh, well, you know, the problem is liberals hold education. Liberals control the education system. Yeah? If 125 people, if that's all it takes to to get an election win, you're damn right they'll control it, because that's easy to do, or should be easy to do. That's two buses over a whole district, or maybe three buses, depending on the size of it. You may not get the government you need or the government you'd like, but you will get the government you deserve. I don't care how you vote. That's not my job. My job is to tell you, if you're starting to think or you're starting to worry about your country, now is the time to get involved. Now is the time to start talking in primaries. Now it's time to get involved and start challenging people. Who's your local representative? Are they good or are they bad? And if they suck, primary them. And support the people who are priming them with your time, with your money. Encourage, get out the vote. Get out, hey, there's this guy or girl. They're really good. They're really constitutional. They need our help and our support. Or 
You can just go, as a lot of people do. The whole 2020 election is all about Trump. Once Trump wins, everything's good. The choice is yours. Act, don't act. But you will get the government you deserve, America. I don't want to flip that argument on its head. Because I want to talk to you about, let's assume I'm wrong. But I guess I want to look at what's happening in your country right now. And I want to talk to you about some of the articles I've read this week about socialism. And I want to talk to you about all the problems in socialism and that America faces and the world faces right now and ask you to look inside yourself and ask yourself, what is the solution? So Bernie Sanders has won. And Bernie Sanders this week is showing who he really is. By, And I can't believe I'm saying this in 2020. But again, and the other part of me says I actually can believe it because it's not that shocking that we're actually talking about Castro and we're talking about literacy programs and we're talking about a regime of re-education and we're all shocked by this and I shared the shock I was like when I heard the comments I went oh dear god is this what we're this is this is what you're discussing right now but then actually, as I sat down and I thought about it, and I sort of ran through my brain and started being logical about it, why is it that shocking that we're now all of a sudden having to debate Castro? That he's all of a sudden, you know, we're discussing it. Why is this shocking to us? Honest question, why? When you look at the situation, when you look at the people who have been dramatically altered and whitewashed and celebrated through history. And I'm talking, you know, since we're talking about Cuba, let's talk about Che Guevara. Oh, yeah, Che, give me Che. Oh, Che's just like me. I'll wear a T-shirt. Why are we shocked? Why are we shocked? This is where we are right now. This is where the world is right now. How do you solve it? How do you solve the issue over Cuban literacy programs? Is the answer Donald Trump? Is the answer the GOP? Or is the answer that we need to start looking inward and discussing history once again, and not telling people what to think, but how to think, and presenting an argument that says, this is not a left-right position or a conservative position or a liberal position. This is fact. This is what happened. Is this a regime you want to live under? And if it was so wonderful and swell and awesome and peachy, why did so many people have a problem that they risk their lives getting into a raft? And when I say raft, I've been very politically correct and been very nice because a lot of those rafts were sometimes just pieces of cardboard strung together to float, to try and get to America. If that regime was so awesome, why did so many people want to leave? Why is that? Again, this is not a left-right question or a conservative or a liberal question. This is a question we need to have. These are discussions we need to have. But also when it comes down to socialism, we need to start having an honest debate. And I don't mean about trying to knock down Bernie Sanders and ensuring he never wins 
but actually having a discussion about what are the solutions. Because let's deal with the elephant in the room starting off. What is the solution to Bernie Sanders becoming president in 2020? What is the solution? You know, there is a, in an ideal world, and I know this world doesn't exist, in an ideal world, Bernie Sanders becoming president wouldn't be a big deal. How can I, what, did you just say that, John? Yeah, Bernie Sanders becoming president in an ideal world wouldn't be that big of a deal. Do you know why I can say that? If you actually had a constitution that was followed. If you actually understand Article 2 of your constitution, all legislative power shall belong in Congress, not in the presidency. That the presidency, if you follow Article 2 and you read Article 2, there is no power there. But yes, everyone wants to make it the opposite, whether you're left or right, top or bottom. When you have that understanding that there is no power, you can have a socialist in the White House. It's no big deal. Why? Because a socialist can do squat in the White House. That the real power belongs in Congress, and that's where you have to worry about socialists. Or the only way a socialist can do harm in the White House, if you have a constitution that is followed is if you have a socialist house and senate and they're just going to rubber stamp and sign legislation that veto that you know ignores the constitution that is the only way that is the only fear of a socialist in the white house if your constitution is followed your founders fought a revolution to give you the safeguard and they put a lot of thought into it. whether you're left or right, top or bottom, whether you love the founders or hate the founders, whether you think the founders are some of the greatest men who ever lived or the dumbest men who ever lived. The Constitution did not happen overnight. There is a very good reason, and if you read your history, you will understand why the Revolution, the Declaration of Independence, Declaration of Independence was signed on July 2nd, 1776, and then it took all the way to 1787 for the Constitution to be ratified. That's 11 years from the Declaration of Independence to the Constitution. There was a lot of blood, sweat, tears, arguments, discussions, debates that went there. That just document didn't just go poof, and there's the Constitution. Your founders just didn't sit around kind of going, well, what should we do? Well, we'll do this. We'll do what everyone else did. No, they read other people. They looked at the monarchy in England. They looked at the king they just defeated and went, yeah, we never want to be like that. They also looked at places like ancient Rome and said, why did Rome fail? Yes, let's never be like them. But they also went further back into history like ancient Greece and other places and they said what did they do wrong let us learn from them let us ensure we don't make the same mistakes and the presidency article 2 was a direct response to what they fought in the king where it was the king's rules where it was the king refusing to give power to parliament or whether it was the king refusing to accept parliament's role that figurehead they did not want that they wanted co-equal branches of government for a reason now i ask you what is the solution to this again is the solution just donald trump donald trump donald trump is the solution just vote gop vote gop or is the solution that we need to start having really tough conversations with our friends on the left and the right about the role of government but that's just one problem 
Let me talk to you about another problem, which we're, is also going to link down to what we're going to talk about later on in the show. Your debt. We've discussed this on this show a lot over the years. Where is the fiscal responsibility in anywhere in D.C.? That debt just keeps on growing. Barack Obama called George Bush unpatriotic for growing the debt from roughly $6 trillion to $10 trillion. The Tea Party came into vogue under Bush, late under Bush and then under Obama. And railed against Obama and the Obama administration from raising it from just under 10 to 19 or 20 trillion. And now it's up at 22 and it's just growing a trillion a year. Where's the outrage? Where is the outrage? What is the answer to the debt? Or is the debt just not a problem anymore? Can we all, I'd actually much respect, respect you everyone. I think you're absolutely crazy. But I'd actually much respect people on the left and the right when, you know what, when we said, when Obama said Bush was unpatriotic, we just did it for election purposes. We don't care about the debt. We don't think it's a problem. And if the Tea Party people just came and said, yeah, look, we're not care, we don't care about it. It was just, we just did everything we could to get Obama out of office. I'd go, okay. That's just the way it is. I'd be respectful if you were honest about it. I think you're crazy because There is no way in hell any country can sustain that level of debt and just growing at a trillion dollars a year. Even the Fed, you know, the Fed, you know, who conservatives usually hate, you know, we want to destroy the Fed, we want to abolish the Fed. Even the Fed is coming out and going, you guys, look, there's bad things coming. You might want to stop spending some money because if bad things come, there's not enough money to pump into the system. Not that pumping money into the system is somewhat of a good policy, but if you even haven't got that as an option, maybe you might want to reflect on things and kind of go, when the Federal Reserve is saying, we need to stop spending money, hey guys, get your act together. Maybe it's time to start taking things seriously. Again, what is the solution here? Is it Donald Trump? Is it the GOP? Is it just bash Bernie Sanders till, you know, the truth comes home? Or is the answer... Returning to fiscal responsibility. Is the answer returning to limited government? Is the answer returning to nature's law and nature's God? Likewise, next issue, which is really polling really big and one of the reasons Bernie Sanders is doing really well. Medicare. Medicare. You know, they're open now to having, you know, medical insurance for everyone, even if it means no private insurance. Poll after poll is showing this sort of friends on the left. When is the last time we made the argument for, you know what, let's not have government involved in healthcare, period. Where are the good guys on this? Because it wasn't just the left who have expanded Medicare. It was George Bush. Medicare and Medicaid. Republicans have expanded it. When was the last time a Republican actually got up on a, on any type of platform, social media or otherwise, and said, we don't believe in this. The government has a role in this. You know, I always say this, there's 18 clauses in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. Can you name three things the Republican Party, Donald Trump, ever who ends up winning, let's just say it's Bernie Sanders because he's the front runner right now, and the Democrats can all unite on and say, government has no role in this. Can we find three? Heck, with the Republican Party, can we find one? Or is it just carte blanche? Let's just go at what the GOP say. Let's just vote GOP, baby, because, hey, it's the lesser of two evils. Hey, let's just keep voting Donald Trump because, hey, he ain't Hillary. He ain't Bernie Sanders. He ain't Michael Bloomberg. Now, I'm. let's be very crystal clear about this. I'm not telling you how to vote. I don't care how you vote in November. You do you. 
But what I am talking to you is about we need to start having these conversations and asking you, what is the solution? Is Donald Trump the solution? No. Is the Republican Party the solution? No. Is principles the solution? Yes. When it comes to the economy, when it comes to solving all the issues that we have, who's right and who's wrong on these issues? Who's right and who's wrong? Or is it just a case of we argue between the party taglines? Oh, well, the Republicans say this and the Democrats say this. How about we actually have a situation where we go, you're both wrong. That you both violate the Constitution. Sit down and shut up. You both violate the Constitution. You both haven't got a clue about economics. You both have blown the deficit out of way out of proportion. You both have ruined opportunities for our kids and our grandkids. You're both screwing up the healthcare system. You're both screwing up the economy. That government is the problem. Because here's the question we need to start asking ourselves if we need to start debating these things. But we need to start with one fundamental question. Do you still believe in the Ronald Reagan tagline of the most terrifying words in the English language? I'm from the government and I'm here to help. That is where we must start, I believe. Do we still believe that? Or does our answer change with who holds power? If Donald Trump and the GOP hold the House and the Senate, then my, you know maybe I don't feel so strongly the government is the problem. But if it's Bernie Sanders and the Democrat House under Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic Senate under Chuck Schumer, oh God, then government is definitely the problem. Because what is going on in our world right now? Just look around at everything that's happening. Is there, if you know anything about American exceptionalism and American history and the reasons why you're unique, I know people don't like the word exceptionalism because, oh, it's a, it's a dog whistle and all this stuff and, you know, you're, you're putting other countries down. No, I'm not. I don't want to put other countries down. I want other countries to come up to the level of freedom. I would love, if I had a magic wand tomorrow, I would wave it where every country lived free, where every individual was given respect and everyone lived up to the ideas of nature's law and nature's God. But whose responsibility is it to share these principles? How do you get from my dream of everyone living free? Where everyone, whether you're black, white, gay, straight, middle class, upper class, lower class, city, urban, farmer, uh, with a third level degree, without a third level degree, where we could all unite and say, free at last, free at last. My God, we are free at last. Yes, that is Martin Luther King. How do we get there? Whose responsibility is it? Is our job just to vote the right way? Is it just to vote against Bernie Sanders in November? Is it just to vote against every Democrat? Or is the right part of the problem? Are the right some guardian angel? But this is where I want to flip it on the head and only talk to a certain proportion of this. And before I say what I'm about to say, I am not trying to convert you to a religion. I don't have one to convert you to. But the biggest frustration I have right now in the world is I look around at my fellow Christians. You know, America has the answers, a lot of the answers. If you just read, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm actually must count this sometime. If you just read the following documents, 
the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. That is a great roadmap to start. Now, obviously, I would encourage you to read a lot more than that. But if you actually fundamentally understood, and not just read them, not just going, oh, we all believe all men are created equal and dead, but I actually mean think about the words. We believe all men are created equal. Do I? Do I really think that? Not only do I think it, but do I act that way? And they're endowed by their creator. Oh, are they endowed by their creator? Okay. And is there, who is their creator? Is it God? Or is it government? And they have certain rights, a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Do I agree that everyone has the right to pursue their happiness? If you just read those three documents and understood them and fundamentally tried to grasp every word, there was no word put in there by fluke. Every word was sweat over, was taught about, was debated. Chances are was was scratched out several times and then put back in with a different word and then sketched out and then put in another word. It was all by design to mean something. You have the answers. And I mean this with the greatest respect. The people who have all the answers are Christians. When you look at what Jesus actually did in 33 years, they're the answers. I hear all people on the right saying, oh, America is a Christian nation, is it? Do you live the words of Christ? How many people actually live the words of Christ today? And when I say this, I mean this to both friends on left and right. Because I see my friends go, oh, well, you know, we're Christians. Yeah, we're, we're this. And yeah, socialism is awesome. Really? I'll tell you what, if you even remotely think that, or government is the answer, or where government needs to be involved in all these aspects of our daily lives, I tell you what, here's a challenge to you, whether you're left or right, because the Republicans are just as guilty about getting involved in your life as the left. Show me the Bible verse. Show me the Bible verse where Jesus said, oh yes, and you shall nominate middlemen, men who shall be the moral arbiters of society to make sure every wrong is righted. Where you shall have men who will come and confiscate your land and your property and your wealth and your stock and shall give it to those they deem worthy. If you can show me that verse or even a remote verse like that in scripture, I would love to see it. God calls you to live a good life. Jesus calls you to live a good life. But what is happening with our Christian brothers and sisters in America? What are they doing? Where are the churches talking about principles? Because I believe America was built. And I believe in your founding father's greatness in the sense of they built a system that, yes, was built on the bedrock of both Moses and Jesus. But they understood that real freedom. They understood that God's greatest gift to mankind was free choice. Where, yes, we want you to do good. Yes, God is your father who always wants what's best for you, is always urging you, no, don't do that, don't do that, no, 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 don't do that. That's the conversation he has with me all the time. No, don't do that. No, 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 tell me you're wrong. No, 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 don't. Oh, And then usually, I, you know, hopefully I get it right at some stage. But that he wants it. But he's not there telling other people, saying, you know what, you need to tell John how to live. You need to go and convince him, and not just convince him, compel him to act a certain way. And if he doesn't, you have a right to imprison him or you have a right to take his stuff. 
because he just is too stupid to understand what's going on in the world. Where are the greatness of the founding fathers? Because while it was built on Moses and Jesus, it was also understood that not everyone would be Christian and that the principles of freedom were for everybody. And that is why I believe the term nature's law, nature's God is so incredibly smart. Because yes, they're Christian principles, but who can argue against them? Who can argue against them? The message of Jesus is simple. Love everyone. Look around at the world today as we are so divided by politics and by sides and by race and by religion. Where is the message of Christ? I see all these Christians telling me how great they are or how Christian they are. And America is this great Christian nation. Where is it? Are Catholics getting on better with Protestants? Are Protestants getting on better with Baptists? Baptists getting on better with Southern Baptists? How do you treat Mormons? Look at what's going on. But likewise, and this is where I bring this argument right back to the start. One of the great attributes of Jesus, and it's in scriptures, was he was humble. And he humbled himself before everyone else. You want to defeat socialism? You want to defeat Bernie Sanders? Please allow me to ask you just to reflect on this. You want the solutions? Christianity? Even if you're not going to become a Christian, the principles Jesus taught and the founding fathers. You need to make the case in the most kindest, humblest way and not slam people going, oh, you don't, if you, listen, if, if you don't understand why Castro was a bad guy, you're just too stupid for me to talk to. Guess what that'll do? That'll just alienate people. We need to be kind. We need to be humble. We need to explain this is who Castro was. This is who Soviet Russia was. This is who China are. This is who Russia are today. This is why Putin is not a good guy. And look at the tyrants around the world and make the case of this is why this is bad. But more importantly, this is what the answers are. This is what the solution is. And the solution isn't Donald Trump as president. The solution isn't the GOP having the House and the Senate. The solution is following your constitution and your founding principles, the principles of nature's law and nature's God. And we need to be brave. We need to be brave and understand that the difference people made in your founding principles, in your founding era. There are many times there's a question that's always asked by historians, and there's many debate because there is no right answer to this. Who played the most pivotal role in America's founding principles, or in its founding era, sorry? And people will argue, you know, well, you know, let's be honest, without the French, you don't win that revolution. Okay, there's merit to that. You know what, the other answer is George Washington, who I believe is the greatest man who ever lived. There's a lot of truth to that. His leadership whether it was at the leader of the Revolutionary Army, or the Continental Army, as it was called, sorry, or leader as the president for two years. for Sorry, not two years, sorry, I'm making up, mixing up my words. Two terms. There's a case for that. There's also a case for people like Ben Franklin who were over in France getting money. There's a case for John Adams. There's a case for, well, you know, you don't have a revolution without Thomas Jefferson, without writing that Declaration of Independence. There's an argument for people like Thomas Paine, writing the American crisis. 
There's an argument for people like James Madison who wrote the Constitution, the father of the Constitution. They're all noble answers. But if I may give you another solution, another answer to that potential answer, because I believe it is all of the above. I believe they all played a role. But you know what the biggest role is? The pulpit. Because for Thomas Jefferson to write the words of called self-evident truths, that doesn't happen if there wasn't a pulpit that was on fire. If there wasn't a pulpit that was going crazy, talking about these principles week in and week out, so that the congregation could not just take what the priest said or the pastor said or the leader said, and just take it and regurgitate it. No, they went home and they discussed it with their family. They discussed it at the dinner table. So these truths, like all men are created equal, where all people have a right to free speech, where all these rights were discussed, where they did become self-evident. Now look at the pulpits today. Where are the pulpits that are on fire? Not talking about politics, not telling you how to vote, but making the case for freedom, making the case for free choice, making the case for leaving man alone, but also for making the case for encouraging man at every opportunity to live and fulfill up to his potential or her potential, to live out their greatness. Or do churches today still care more about their tax exempt status? Or they care more about how many people they get into the pews? Or they care about making sure they're seen on TV, making sure that they're looked after, making sure they live their cushy lifestyle, make sure they have their gold-plated chalices and their gold-plated urns and their gold-plated everything. What is more important? I ask you all the way through this and for so many other issues we're going to be discussing in the rest of this show and on the upcoming weeks, what is the answer? If you think Donald Trump is the answer... I firmly disagree, but you go for you. If you think the Republican Party is the answer, then go off you go. I disagree. The answer is principles of nature's law and nature's God. I want to talk to you about what's going on around the world right now and why I'm very concerned but also optimistic because I believe we have the answers. Is If you look around at the world right now, is there any way you can look at it in any way through any glasses and kind of go, there's this region that's stable. Just look at what's happening. You know, there's lots of issues which have very, been very underreported around the world. You know, debt levels, economies struggling. You know, what boom time economies look like. You know, when you look at the statistics of, you know, economies like, you know, America's roaring 20s. You know what looked to happen in America in the 80s. You look at what's changed and look at how much it's growing. It's it's totally different. But also, if you look at the, even if you look in the right places, you'll see it. If something bad happens, there's very little to actually solve the issues. You know, we said earlier on the... The Federal Reserve came out of, you know, and said basically to the U.S. government in a warning, said, look, you know, if things go bad, we don't have, an, we don't have money to pump into the system. You know, all those gears are gone. All those gears are gone a long time ago in 2008. A lot of countries are in a lot of trouble. And you're seeing a lot of political inst instability or things that are happening which are a bit unusual. 
You look at what's happening in Ireland, which I don't want to talk too much about. You look at what's happening in Scotland once another independence referendum. You look at what's happening in Northern Ireland. You look at what's happening in Israel where they can't form a government. You look at what's happening in other parts of the world. It's getting very unstable. And you start to see all the factions of society are starting to break up. And you're starting to see a lot of anger and resentment. What's the answer to all those? Again, I would make the case or and do my best to make the case here. The answers are the principles of freedom. That government is not the solution. Government is the problem. But also another part of the problem, and this is always unpopular to say, is sometimes we're the problem. Our actions are the problem. And I want to talk to you about something, and I mean this in a very serious way, and I hope you think about this over the weekend and and do some prepping if you need to in your situation. I'm looking around at the world and seeing this coronavirus. And full disclosure, I'm not an expert. You know, I don't, this show is just me. I'm a a one-man show. You know, I work a full-time job and I try and do research and, you know, do my best to come before you each week with a show that's worthy of your time, that's well thought out, that's well reasoned and, you know, enjoyable, hopefully. So I'm not an expert on coronavirus. I don't know if it's a pandemic or not. I don't know if it's something you should be worried or not. But I want to talk to you about it in the sense of what's going on. Around the world, as of recording this show, there's 82,588 cases of coronavirus. It's led to 2,814 deaths, and 33,345 people have fully recovered from it. I don't want to talk to you about coronavirus per se and you know give you the medical expertise, which I don't have. But what I do want to talk to you about is this is starting to spread all around the world. This is all starting to spread. It's it's Italy's got a major outbreak. It's happened. There's been cases in France, in Norway, in Sweden, in Germany, in America, in England. It's been everywhere. South Korea has ha- had loads of it. South Korea is the apart from China is the second most populated area of coronavirus. You have places like Iran having it. If you are suspected of a coronavirus. One of the things you have to do is go into quarantine for up to 14 days, if not longer. I want to talk to you about your personal finances, and I want to talk to you about your responsibility to not anyone else, but to yourself, and also to your family if you live with someone, if you've got a partner or kids or parents. Can you imagine, and it could be something else, but how responsible and how ready are you If let's say you sneeze tomorrow and you start getting the flu and there's a chance it's the coronavirus and you have to go into quarantine for 14 days, are you financially ready for that? Are you financially ready to not work for two weeks? Are you financially ready to not only not work for two weeks, to have no money coming in and still the bills go out? I ask this because there was a poll done, as it's done every year, there was a poll done last year that said just 40% of Americans could pay an unexpected bill of $1,000, such as an emergency room visit or car repair. And the survey was done by Bankrate. So 40% of Americans can put up with a $1,000 expense. 
Every the 60% of Americans can't. Now, Bear, I don't know what job you work, but $1,000 is probably on the low side for most people earnings in two weeks. If you had to go into, and I'm not even saying get really sick and die, I'm just saying about you have to go into quarantine for 14 days and re- make a full recovery. Are you able to financially survive that? If things get really bad in the economy, which is going to happen, there is going to be an economic consequence to the coronavirus. Whether you believe it's not a pandemic, whether you think it's a pandemic, whether you think it's going to be the end of the world, or whether you think it's all a right-wing conspiracy or a left-wing conspiracy, or I don't know, Martians are coming for us. You can pick in any of them. It is going to have an economic consequence. Let me tell you some of the economic consequences. Let me give you some of the small ones and then some of the bigger ones. Ireland were supposed to play Italy in a rugby game. That's now cancelled. So you're going to have the economic consequences of that. There's a lot of tourism and a lot of sport. They're already starting to talk in very, very quiet circles over here where you're going to have to start playing football games in stadiums that are basically closed to the public. You're going to have a lot of people who are out of jobs. And the reason you're kind of going, why does that affect? Why is that a big deal? So football has to be played behind closed doors. Big deal. Well, how do clubs support their wages? Clubs make money by tickets, by merchandise, by people coming in and buying hot dogs and beer, whatever else, you know, sandwiches that they buy. But also a lot of pubs and people are in business because of tourism. Because people come to their, you know, go to see an away match or go to their local stadium and they'll go to the local stadium and they'll have two or three beers and they'll have a bite to eat out afterwards. If that game is, they can't go to the game, guess what? That pub, that restaurant, that taxi service, that train service, all of a sudden now has a hit. You then you have aspects of people going on holidays. It's now it's getting close. I know it's only February, but or start of March, sorry. Um it's getting close to tourism season. You know, it's summer holidays. Hey, we gotta get our beach bodies on, we gotta get our suntan and get our, our bikinis or, you know, in my case a mankini ladies. You're welcome. Um we gotta go, you know, travel. How many people are gonna get on a plane? How many people are going to go overseas? Are you going to really risk it? Especially if you've got kids. Are you going to risk it? Are you going to go stay at home? That has an effect. And that has an effect on what people in those countries can buy. It has an effect on people in the airport of your country. It has all countless effects. This will have a knock-on effect. All these people now who may be at a reduced work week because it's not as busy, all of a sudden don't have as much money and yet still have to pay the bills. I say this because this has been talked about in Europe. This could happen in America. Is that something you really want to run the risk of? In a 2020 election? Is that something you're ready for as a person? Is that something you're open to? Is that something you can help people with? But let's say things got even worse in the economy. Because what's happening now is there's a lot of Chinese businesses which... I believe the stat is something like 90% of businesses in China can only last up to three months with no money. What happens when Chinese businesses go out of business? A lot of business, this world is, whether you like it or whether you hate it, is very interconnected. If China, whether it's a purchaser of your goods, or whether it's a supplier of products to make bigger goods, like iPhones and iPads, how do you, uh, how do you overcome that? This will have a knock-on effect. But likewise, it also has bigger effects on other industries, which is also starting to become 
apparent even in America, even though you have so few cases. Mortgage rates are down. Why? Because who's going to buy a house right now? There's a lot of uncertainty in the market. If you've got money in the stock market, are you really going to keep it in? You know all these businesses are going down. You know all businesses are going to struggle. How do you solve them? But then let's take one step further. Let's get away from the business side of things. There's a lot of food sitting in Chinese ports now that's just sitting there in containers going rotten. Are you going to buy that Chinese food? A lot of people aren't. So that's going to go rotten. What happens then to food supply? It gets scarcer, which causes what? It causes either mass panic, shortages, or prices going through the roof. Are you able to cope with that? Yeah, you might not have to go into quarantine, but are you ready to pay more money as, uh, for food, for local things that you think are just you know everyday conveniences? Are you ready to pay more money for fruit, for vegetables, for milk, for meat? What does that do to your budget? These are all things we need to start thinking about. And ask yourself, who is responsible in government to deal with these? Because one of the things that's really frustrating to me is we're allowing ourselves, I'm going to speak to just my friends on the right. We have not been good stewards of the Constitution. We have not been good stewards of the principles of nature's law and nature's God. When it suits us, our side violates them as openly as the left. They may not do it as bad as the left, but they do it just as openly. When things get bad, and we don't make the case for free markets, we don't make the case for freedom, we don't make the make the argument for the Constitution, what happens when things get bad and there's an emergency? How many people in the world can actually solve, deal with, you know, an unexpected event, whether it's coronavirus or something else? How close do you think you are to a mass panic? And I'm not saying this to scare you or get you all frightened. I'm getting you to say this, to think about this, for the sole reason of how can we solve these in the future? What are the answers? You know, I've seen things, and again, I don't care who you vote for. I personally think this is stupid, but it's just not me. I don't think it's a principal thing to do. But there's a group in South Carolina, the Republicans, they're registering into the Democratic Party to vote for Bernie Sanders to because they vote in, in the primary for Lindsey Graham. And it's just to get them to stop the, the primary loophole. I think you're you're taking a big risk if you vote for Bernie Sanders hoping he wins. Because he might just win in 2020. If the economy gets bad, what will people accept? If people are struggling to put food on the table. If you look and you read enough true history. When do dictators and, and oligarchs and bad people and bad regimes come to power? When things are bad, they promise to solve them. They promise change. You think if things don't, if this coronavirus gets big and things get really bad and people are hurting and you have a chunk of Americans who are sitting there in quarantine who haven't, are part of that 60% who can't afford a $1,000 emergency because they have no money in savings and are sitting in quarantine for 14 days, can't work, the bills are still coming in, the medical bills are starting to come in because they got to have antibiotics and stuff. Are they going to be open to go, look, I, I, I feel your pain. I'm now going to solve it. And I'm going to solve it by giving you money from the government. How many people would say no to that? How many people would deal with it? How close to you are you to real problems? And what are the solutions? If you think of nothing else, if you, 
if I can ever give you anything to think about. I asked you this weekend just to think about this. What are the solutions? Because if you are looking around at the world like me and you're worried, the time for messing around is gone. The time for playing simple partisan politics and just vote GOP, baby. You know, vote Lindsey Graham. He's the best of a bad bunch. Vote Mitch McConnell. He's the best of a bad bunch. Those days are gone. Those times were, oh, so long ago. Oh, so even 2016, you could do that. 2012, you could do that. 2008, you could easily do that. The world's a different place right now. We need to start being very clear of what we're standing for and make a dent in promoting those principles. And actually have the humility and the kindness and the honesty to go, you know what, we believe in the Constitution, but we've made problems as well. We have supported unconstitutional actions. We have supported things that violate the Constitution, and we apologize. But these are the answers. And they're the answers whether it's a left or right, top or bottom, does it? I ask you this weekend, what are the solutions? But I also ask you, and I ask you this more importantly than anything else I've ever asked you. I ask you this weekend to look at your life and your finances. And do, I'm not promoting any product. I'm not promoting anything. This show doesn't do that. But get prepared. Have you got a thousand dollars? Have you got some money put aside? If not, can you start putting it aside in the case of the rainy day? Have you got a bit of food supply? Have you got some food storage? Have you got some supplies that I don't know the you know you the, you go to you guys should actually be better than this than most countries because I've seen you know when there's hurricanes and stuff you go to the store and there's nothing there. We don't really have that type of weather here. You know, have you got weather, you know, enough food to get you through a period of time if if let's say god forbid you are quarantined for 14 days and you can't get to the store and the store can't get to you, have you got enough food? Have you got the skills to deal with it? Can you cook bread? Have you got enough water? Have you got a backup generator? I'm not giving you things to set by. I'm just thinking from you to start looking at things you could do. Have you got some gold? Have you got some cryptocurrency? Have you got some cash? Have you got some product that you can sell? Have, can you get something in your house that you can barter? That If let's say you can't get to anyone else and there's a big crash that you can barter. There's lots of things that you can buy. I would ask you to take five or ten minutes out this weekend and look at your life and don't look at it through rose-tinted glasses, but through honest and go, maybe it's the coronavirus or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just something else. Have I got prepared? Am I prepared? Am I ready for bad things to happen? Am I surviving? And lastly, I would ask you this. What's your relationship like with your neighbors? Because if things turn bad, it won't matter who's in the White House. You know, things could go really bad. And let's just use a scenario. The Walking Dead happens. You know that great documentary on the telly? The Walking Dead, where all the zombies, everyone turns into a zombie when they die. You don't see the president there solving The Walking Dead, by the way. You don't see the GOP-led Congress or the Democratic-led Congress in The Walking Dead going, Hey, baby, we're going to solve all the problems. We're going to get rid of all these zombies. doesn't work. You're on your own. What's your community like? If something happened where you had to be, you know, in quarantine for a week or two weeks, it could be something simple like, do you have someone that you could trust to mind your dog? Do you have someone to trust that would look in on your house, make sure you're not looted? Do you have that type of relationship with people? 
These are just things I would ask you to think about because hopefully I'm wrong and hopefully everything I've just said never comes to fruition or maybe it's the coronavirus or maybe it's something else. But even if nothing happens, I do believe it is a conservative principle to be self-responsible, to actually, you know, prep. I believe that is a conservative position, not a liberal position. We finish up today's show the way we always do by saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel and your vets. The men and women who serve 24-7, 365, or this year, in this case, 366, for a better tomorrow. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. You're not great because of Trump or the GOP or the Democrats or Bernie Sanders or socialism. You're great because of your people. You're great because of your ideals. And my God, does the world need your ideals right now. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, y'all have a blessed week. God bless America. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.